Hi, it's me, Cindy Adams, same Cindy Adams, Madam Adams, who harangues you in my column Monday through Thursday, four times a week, every week in the New York Post. Listen, you're stuck with me. So right now, I am in the mood to dish. Last Sunday, between beer and burps, there was record betting for the Super Bowl. Now we talk of tomorrow. And that New York, which is already so expensive and could find a way to squeeze something out of an empty toothpaste tube, is starting again. Its new dentifrice is legal mobile sports betting. What that means, I'll tell you. The good news is New York's sports betting program is a home run. In quick time, New York has become the number one state for sports betting. This means dollars bet and the number of bets made. The bad news? New York is not being a good sport about it. Despite the volume of hits, it's landing out of bounds because New York is additionally taxing not only the betters, but the licensed sports books and at the highest rates in the country. Happening is that along with the great volume of betting, it is resulting now in the sports books themselves who are keeping the bets. They are now losing money. Yankees president Randy Levine, an early ardent supporter of mobile sports betting, told me when I asked about it, look, concern is New York's high level of taxation. Besides actual bettors, this taxing now includes the promotional offerings. Being that I'm not into sports, I said to him, what are you talking about? All of that which means what? So he said, it means you are now also being taxed in New York on the promotional stuff, such as them telling you to become a member, like how about betting on your phone? This includes the state of New York counting promotional offers as actual betting income. We've all seen the commercials where the sports book says you get extra dollars for joining and making your initial sports bet. Yeah, good, fine. The problem now is, with New York buttering that extra bread, could be the sports books are getting cranky? Could they swim back across the river, tell us to you know what and go where, hike cross country and screw us all, take their action to a lower taxing state? Yeah, they could and they will. They maybe even go to, oi, forgive me, Father, for I may have sinned, downtown Iowa. So let's get cracking, New York. Let's stop the taxation. Okay, now, please, 
Uh, I have so much to dish that I literally can't wait to hear what I myself have to say. Now, please. There is a TV series heading to us. It is going to behead the shaggy head of the possibly temporary head of the British government. What I know is its prime minister is about to get a really close shave. Let's say if Her Majesty hasn't enough problems with dumb Prince Harry, damn Prince Andrew, and dim Prince Charles, comes now a brand new takeoff on the Queen of England's current environment. It's more heavy than lies the crown on its previous TV episodes. This will become a fictitious, fractious version of P.M. Boris Johnson, a real downmark look at his office, and it will be titled Downing Street. This prime minister, grabbing prime time, was actually born in the U.S., and to become leader of the U.K. took a really strong gizzard. This guy was born Alexander Boris de Feffel. He married multiple times. He is daddy of multiple children. He is survivor of a sex scandal. And, per the current newspaper fiasco, he is also the giver of big-time parties during C.V.'s lockdown. Okay, but, I mean, already, we've, we've had so many dramas about not-so-jolly old England. Helen Mirren and Olivia Colman have squatted on the throne more often than Elizabeth. We've had the crown, the queen, the king's speech, the last kingdom. We've had all of this stuff. We had Princess Diana's thing and another dozen Hale Britannias. Enough already. More film time than we ever gave Abe Lincoln. But now, from the creator of the House of Cards, whoever he was, comes this new series. I am telling you, it will dive into the central character's background and underground, complete with a string of crises, scandals, secrets to hide, guerrilla press, and maybe his hairdresser's private phone number. Boris has now become porous. Off to something else. This week, we celebrated President's Day. I wish to continue this week by monitoring burps from some of our great presidents, not that we've had that many, and leaders, none of which we have right now. Limping for VP once was, you should excuse the expression, Dan Quayle. He once said, quote, a low voter turnout is an indication of fewer people going to the polls. Is that brilliant or what? Ted Kennedy once said about his then fiancée, Victoria Reggie, 
She's a wonderful person, and we are looking to a forward to a happy and wonderful night. I mean life. That's exactly what he said. Ronald Reagan, quote, facts are stupid things, end quote. Mitt Romney, look at the last election. The reason Republicans lost can be summed up in two words, 47%. Arnold Schwarzenegger? Gay marriage, pay attention to this one. Gay marriage is something that should be between a man and a woman. You wonder why he's not governor anymore? Bob Dole, quote, You can only sweep the sidewalk so many times. What that was supposed to tell us, God knows. Sitting President Richard Nixon to the then actual Attorney General, quote, Damn it, forget the law. Donald Rumsfeld, when bin Laden was big in the news, he said to our then sitting Chief of State, My information is... Bin Laden is either alive and well, or alive and not too well, or not alive. How about the way our country is being run, huh? Spiro Agnew, I would have to say this. If you've seen one city slum, you've seen them all. And that's why we don't see Spiro Agnew anymore. Donald Trump once said, if Obama resigns, I will give him free lifetime golf at any of my courses. Biden, the barfer, a man I am proud to call my friend Barack America. He actually said that. Harry S. Truman, I always wanted to be either a piano player in a whorehouse or a politician. To tell the truth, there's almost no difference. Obama, thinking we had a train that went from here to Europe, his quote is, we are the country that built the Intercontinental Railroad. Yeah, okay. And my favorite Al Gore, now pay attention to this because I'm not going to say it more than once. Al Gore's exact quote, a zebra does not change its spots. <laughs> that was Al Gore, and he wants to know why he didn't get elected. Senator Chris Dodd, as his re-election campaign came to an end, now I can start telling the truth again. And Truman, one night before election, showed a headline predicting Dewey's win for president. Bill Clinton, June 13, 1996, quote, We have to take seriously the problem of older men who prey on underage women. There are consequences to decisions. I, that was Bill Clinton. President George Bush, when I need a little advice about Saddam Hussein, 
I turned to country music. President Ronald Reagan, Gerald Ford was a communist. He meant congressman. And from President Barack Obama, don't underestimate Joe Biden's ability to F things up. And he really used the word F. At which point, I'm going to make a station break before I F things up, and then I'll see you back again in a second. I'm back again. You can't get rid of me. I'm back again. This week was President's Week. I told you that, so I am speaking all about presidents, even those presidents <laughs> we don't want to speak of. Nixon said, if he died in office, he wanted the final music to be California, Here I Come. He wanted it played softly and slowly. Meanwhile, the insiders called him Gloomy Gus. Woodrow Wilson, James Madison, John Quincy Adams, they were all atheists, as was Martha Washington, who had a couple of husbands and kids. Martha obviously believed in Martha. But George Washington was a player. He grew hemp. George Washington was also wealthy from real estate. His rich wife, Martha, probably left the memo for Jeff Bezos's lady friend, like, get it, get it, get it quickly. John Adams, I love that last name. John Adams was great at playing marbles. Besides that, he did nothing. Nothing anybody remembers, except since I'm sure he was a relative, he had a great last name, John Adams. The Roosevelt's. Teddy's daughter, Alice, smoked cigars. Eleanor, the wife of Tightwad, FDR, carried a pistol in her purse after his 1932 election. But that probably had nothing to do with him being a chintz. Jefferson, he insisted the Declaration of Independence be ratified July 4th. Not that it was a holiday then. He wanted it because that day the planets were astrologically aligned. History might say it's a hell of a way to run the railroad, but that's the way history is. He was into astrology. Ulysses S. Grant's missus suffered from eye problems. He found it endearing. Listen, anybody stuck with that first name Ulysses would find anything endearing. Warren Harding's pastime was poker. How good he was, who knows? I only know Vegas never rushed to seat him at a high-stakes table. Poor Carter. 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 Ah, oh, poor Carter. He suffered a bad case of hemorrhoids one Christmas. Oh, it was big-time pain and suffering, but hemorrhoids isn't chic at a Christmas party, so he suffered. He just didn't gripe too much. JFK was voted most likely to succeed at Choate. That's although his class was 112 students, while he only graduated 64th. 
I'm continuing on with the presidents because this was President's Week. Andrew Jackson had many attributes of which I am totally unfamiliar. The one thing I do know is Andrew Jackson believed the world was flat. Coolidge, known to not be chatty, had enough noise around him. Coolidge kept lion cubs, a small hippo, an antelope, plus a donkey, an ass, much like possibly Coolidge himself. William Taft always was chauffeured everywhere. Why? Because Chunky Billy could not stuff himself behind his own steering wheel. Why? He was a big-time fatso. That's why. McKinley, America's first president to ride in an automobile. Gerald Ford. He can be known for one main fact, although very pleasant. The only chief of state to have two women try to assassinate him. Clinton didn't like an operator saying, yes, Mr. President, each time he picked up his phone, because who knows who Clinton was calling. So Busy Bill installed his own private lines. Martin Van Buren kept a tiger at the White House. Succeeding occupants have sworn they too have dealt with wild animals there. James Buchanan, not that anybody ever asks anything about James Buchanan, who the hell knew where he was or when he was, but James Buchanan actually housed an elephant on the White House grounds, which, of course, could be why Jackie Kennedy had to put in a rose garden and Melania just redid it. Rutherford Hayes suffered an unusual phobia. Didn't run in his family, but he dealt with an ongoing fear of going insane. I don't, I don't quite understand what that means, but I know that that's a fact because I've checked it. LBJ, he was a doodler. He'd actually sketch figures with three heads. Also, in 1968, his daughter Linda was ordered off a San Francisco cable car. Why? Because she was eating an ice cream cone. Lincoln. Lincoln's had more movies done than, than Meryl Streep's been in. Even Daniel Day-Lewis, who played Lincoln, mightn't know. Maybe only Lincoln's dentist knew. But Abe had a big gap between his front teeth. Eisenhower hated cats and ordered that any found on his Gettysburg estate were to be shot on sight. What is that? What kind of a wartime five-star general can be scared of pussycats? And Daddy George Bush gave China's leader once a pair of Texas cowboy boots. And this won't come up in conversation, but if it does, W. George Bush, his left arm was an eighth of an inch longer than his right. 
Okay, now enough already with the president. I'm going to go on to an audio erotic lesson that is now coming to us. It's on the internet. It's a podcast. Pay attention. Ron Howard, we know, besides being a top director, he teaches directing. David Mamet teaches screenwriting. Mariah Carey, songwriting. But you can shove all of these master classes because now comes a mistress class. The subject, sex and communication. The teacherette is named Emily Morse. She's a younger Dr. Ruth, also a taller Dr. Ruth, also without the accent. Anyway, says this Emily person, quote, We must get rid of the shame we have about sex. Doing it should be like just talking about the weather, not hot, steamy, or even cold. The physical vocabulary should be like the weather, overcast, possibly a chance of orgasm. You ready? This is her podcast. She is a doctor of human sexuality. Her podcast is called Sex with Emily. She says, pleasure is our birthright. Kindergarten teachers will be happy to hear this. She says, we all deserve pleasure. And I guarantee your neighbor is actually even freakier than you think they are. Listen, high school principals will be even happier to hear this. P.S. She says, we must have lube. Lube, L-U-B-E. She says, with lube, we are 80% more likely to achieve the pinnacle. And how to achieve such gratification of Eden if you have no partner? This, I think, might be lesson two. Now I want to give you a word about Alec Baldwin and that horrific gun situation which still consumes the news. Gwyneth Paltrow said, quote, In the film A Perfect Murder, I broke one of my own cardinal rules of never, ever even touching a gun. The one time I was actually made to hold one, just hold it in this film is the last time I did it. I will never, ever do that again. Meryl Streep. Every movie star who points a gun is not only selling their movie, they're selling the gun. The NRA couldn't pay these people enough money to hold a rifle for their ad. Now they're making that ad, and for gratis. Our profession doesn't take responsibility for the images we put out. Drew Barrymore, opposed to guns, allowed none in Charlie's Angels, which she was in and co-produced. Instead, the three beauties underwent intensive martial arts trainings. Rachel Brosnahan once played a character who had to shoot. She says, sometimes it feels 
like someone shoves a gun in an actor's hand, whereupon power surges through his veins, and the person miraculously knows how to use it. I'm not comfortable handling guns. Makes me nervous. I'm bad handling guns. Scares me. For one film, I had to learn to shoot. I wasn't happy. Once I had a single date with a guy who for some reason took me to a shooting range. Trust me, this was a one date only. So listen, may one of these ladies line up to be next mayor of New York City. Okay, now you're rid of me for a minute while we go to a station break and then I'm right back. Me, I'm back, I'm back. This, as I told you, was President's Day week. So I'm on to President's. George Washington refused his 25 grand a year salary. Could be he didn't need it because he also grew cannabis, as in hemp, as in marijuana, as in maybe George was one happy, contented forefather. Six of our former fathers-in-chief were named James, Madison, Polk, Monroe, Buchanan, Garfield, and Peanut Farmer Carter. And they weren't all political pros. Licensed barkeep Honest Abe co-owned Berry and Lincoln, a Springfield, Illinois tavern. Taylor Andrew Johnson only wore suits he made himself. Grover Cleveland, a former sheriff in New York, he was Erie County's official hangman. Perfect advance rehearsal for the D.C. job, right? National Park Ranger Gerald Ford used to feed the bears. It primed him for the Democratic donkeys, Democratic asses, somebody else other than myself might say. Herbert Hoover previously earned a dollar a day for picking insects off potato plants. A buck, a bug. How about oddities? The S in Harry S. Truman stood for absolutely nothing. That's why it's sometimes written with no period after it. Thomas Jefferson. Ugh, what a clunk. He visited Stratford-upon-Avon, where his knife hacked souvenir chips out of Shakespeare's chair. What kind of a thing is that? What kind of a dope? Violating state laws, a Sunday carriage ride in Vermont got Jefferson and Madison arrested. Ulysses S. Grant smoked minimum 20 cigars a day. Martin Van Buren's autobio never mentioned his longtime wife. Who can understand that? A poker player, Warren G. Harding, bet a whole set of priceless White House china. He bet it in a poker game, and he lost it, the whole set of White House china. Harding was also the first to own a radio. Teddy Roosevelt's final deathbed words were, quote, Please put out the light. 
Also, Teddy and his first lady owned and used stilts. I don't know where they used them. I wasn't around then, but they had stilts in the house. Woodrow Wilson. He painted golf balls black so he could play in wintertime snow. Wait, wait, I have more. Calvin Coolidge liked his head rubbed with Vaseline while eating breakfast in bed. Don't ask me how I found these things. I found them, and I have secured them all. One more. Wait, wait. John Adams lisped, and he wouldn't wear dentures. Polk, he suffered steady diarrhea. William Henry Harrison was president only 31 days. Too much mail? So Zachary Taylor ignored the letters that came and never actually learned he'd won the nomination for a month. William Howard Taft, 360 pounds he got stuck in the bathtub. He had to have a bigger one installed. The first to have electric lights, Benjamin Harrison, who feared electrocution, so he had servants turn all the lights off. Chester Arthur owned 80 pairs of pants, and he changed several times a day. Why he had to change them, this I don't know, and I don't think I want to know. Because one eye... E-Y-E, sat higher than Buchanan's other, he walked, tilting his neck to one side. Rutherford Hayes loved croquet. Nixon loved football. FDR collected stamps. Bored JFK only watched a movie's first half. Lyndon Baines Johnson wanted his whole family to use identical initials. That's why his wife became L.B.J. Lady Bird. His daughters were Lucy Baines and Linda Bird. History will forever remember George Herbert Walker Bush, the only president with four names. We remember him whoopsing on Japan's prime minister. Liberia's capital, Monrovia, is named after Monroe. Doesn't come up often in conversation, but simultaneously, Garfield could write Latin with one hand, Greek with the other. Garfield was the first to have a phone. He told Alexander Graham Bell, 13 miles away, Speak a little more slowly. Martin Van Buren was raised in Kinderhook, New York, and known as Old Kinderhook is what supposedly begat the term OK. Okay, now a couple of things about our lives today. The world we live in, we live, we live with such oddities. There was this dog, a Shiba Inu. Their puppies cost $3,500. They're Japanese bred. This Shiba Inu arrived at 10th Street's veterinary clinic. As per the resident vet, its owner, D. 
didn't go inside because of C.V., and waited outside in her car properly. This dog, a Shiba Inu, padded in, wearing a mask. Here's more. Everyone under the age of rigor mortis is in Florida. The housing is tighter than an army barracks. There's no space. There's no place. No how. One newly empty condo was on the market one day. The asking price was $6 million. A buyer wanted it so badly, she paid $1 million over the ask. I mean, can you believe that? We have had a commission on judicial conduct. It just axed an upstate town justice, quote, for posting sexual content on Facebook. His honor, it seems, had put up a female's photo with the caption, quote, Boobies are proof that men can focus on two things at once. Plus, a semi-naked woman tied to a bed along with a man fishing. Caption, quote, she asked me to tie her up and do anything I want. Okay, wait more, I got more. After a woman was pushed onto Times Square's subway track, the MTA conducted a study to see could they install some preventive measures on the platforms. The answer came in a 3,000-page report. No, it's too costly. You can't do it. It's structurally impossible. Besides, you ready for this answer? Their exact reply was, only 26 people were shoved onto the tracks in 2020. So, no, doesn't pay. Okay. I wish to make a comment. It's my comment. You don't have to agree with me, but I'm going to make the comment anyway. I am a passionate New Yorker. It's my religion. I'm a devout New Yorker. No matter what its problems, New York is the capital of the world. And now we have a new mayor. Every day, with no time left to even reach City Hall, Eric Adams is on TV. Close-ups on television. He's making a speech, a promise, a guarantee. He's making everything but a safe city. For show, he imports doddering fool Biden to come to New York. When Biden came, he read every single word about New York from a printed piece of paper. He, who can't even stop immigrants, can't stop Russians, can't stop inflations, can't stop CV, can't stop Hunter, and can't start Kamala. Eric Adams thinks we're stupid? We knew Biden was just BS window dressing. And at this point, before you get tired of me, or maybe before I get tired of you, I am going 
off. We are having a station break, but I'm coming right back. Among the many nothings that are up for Oscars, one of the wonderful things is The Ricardos, the movie about Lucille Ball. America has had a wonderful time with the Lucille Ball show I Love Lucy years back. Amazon's new movie is Being the Ricardos. It's about them, and it is now up for an Oscar as well as Oscars for three of its actors. At a private screening before it came out, one door was scotch-taped with paper. It had a crayon sign on it saying, Nicole Kidman. Out of it came Nicole, whom I know. She plays Lucy. She was wearing at this screening a white floor-length gown. I asked, so who's Schmata? She grinned, Chanel, but I'm not keeping it. Then Nicole told me, you know, when I was a kid, growing up in Australia, I hadn't much knowledge of Lucille Ball. I had no idea of her tumultuous married relationship with Desi Arnaz, her husband. But I slowly became obsessed with her. See, as I grew up, I loved dancing. She loved dancing. I saw in her the excess force, her tough, unstoppable drive to make things work, to forge ahead, to become successful no matter who or what was in her way. Her resilience, doing the filming, doing the doing, reminded me of my own mother. Said Nicole, this real character, Lucille, had bright red hair, so for the movie, they had to dye mine. I figured also prosthetics would change my nose and mouth, but they didn't. The problem became my eyebrows. I worried mine would be gone because they took them all off, and I thought that would be the end of me and my, my eyebrows would be gone forever. They are now starting to grow back. Writer-director of it, Aaron Sorkin, said, We filmed in L.A. I read their biographies. Most were not very good. The best was Desi's own, quote, my book. At first, I didn't care to do this movie because I didn't want the usual biopic. There was too much difference in their characters. He, in real life, was an alcoholic. She, in real life, was accused of being a communist and still loving Desi, her husband, even after their divorce, and her remarrying comedian Gary Morton. She still loved Desi. P.S. from Cindy. I knew both Gary Morton and Lucille Ball. Also gone, but marching on, is Lucille Ball with all of the others who were in I Love Lucy. 
Her story, being the Ricardos, is up for an Oscar, and so is Nicole Kidman, who plays her. And so is Javier Bardem, who plays the Cuban bandleader husband, Desi Arnaz. Also J.K. Simmons, who plays something else in it. They are all up for Oscars. Amy Poehler directed a coming documentary called I Love Lucy. That show and television were fused. It like came with every TV set. When I grew older, doing comedy myself is when I first began to realize and understand what Lucille Ball had done. I could see layers to her genius. She was very brave. The days after Desi died in December 1986, Lucille Ball was at Kennedy Center Honors and said he'd written a letter to be read. The final line from Desi Arnaz after he was gone was, quote, I Love Lucy was never just a title. That affection had been the real story. The universal way into many sagas is a love story. I wanted to touch important themes is what they said. They said the different ways they approached work, what kind of work comedy is, what they did as pioneers for television. We succeed on how much we cared about their love story. That is what the producers of this movie said. It was streaming for laughs, for tears, and love. And everybody was there at the screening. Lucy, Lucy Arnaz Luckenbill, the daughter, Norman Lear, Desi Arnaz Jr., Carol Burnett, Bette Midler, and some other people. Listen, it's being touted, as I said, for all kinds of awards. Here's a backstory. Javier Bardem is now being truthful. It's belated truth. It's slow truth but he's coming truthful. In the film, he plays Lucille Ball's husband, Desi Arnaz. Desi, the Cuban musician, sang in real life. Javier, the Spanish actor, therefore, had to sing in the movie. There was a problem. The guy doesn't sing, but he desperately wanted this role. He's a good actor. So what he did was, he acted. He pulled it off. What he did was, he gave director Aaron Sorkin a con job. However, Sorkin is so smart, he can even tell when a script is lousy just by smelling the paper it's on. He knew. He understood this guy was lying. He understood Javier Bardem cannot sing. But he wanted this actor so badly Despite the fact that he couldn't sing, he wanted him. Actually, this actor couldn't even hum. Nothing. Even his speaking voice is way lower than Desi Arnaz's. But he quick ran to nail a singing coach and get lessons. 
calm yourself, a junior Bruno Mars or Justin Bieber, he's not. Opening for Taylor Swift, he won't. But he now sings in the movie, and he says, actors lie a lot to get roles. This wasn't my first time. I'll be back in a second. Okay, I want to tell you something about the UN. We just had the UN here. Ambassadors hit parties. They grab parking spots. They're pains in the international assets. But there's another story about their wives, daughters, assistants, who find themselves in a new strange land, strange sounds, customs, appliances, and often must unravel it alone. The husband is not domestic. He doesn't give a fig when nobody in the laundromat speaks Swahili. I've interviewed these wives who come with the husbands who are diplomats from foreign places. One needed milk for her infant, and she fashioned its formula from room service sugar instead of dextrose. Another from a small African country didn't know uptown versus downtown. Told about gratuities, she tipped a bus driver who then hollered at her. So she next stiffed a cabbie who hollered at her. She then stopped venturing out at all. She was terrified. A South American with six children had to find an apartment. How? She spoke no English. Didn't know about nursery schools, sitters, au pairs, mother's helpers, or where you find a maid. She cried for six months. I know. I interviewed them. One delegate ordered four chairs. All arrived broken. What does she do? a lady from India who didn't understand a washing machine. She told me, in my country, we don't need people wash our clothes for us. Fatima, 20, from an eastern country, never before away from home, was alone, frightened, no friends. We helped her find an apartment, took her furniture shopping, invited her to dinner. Listen, New York has 320 square miles. Eight-ish million inhabitants, thousands of trains and buses, and there now exists a commission to explain where to find a foot specialist, a furnished room, a kneaded crate of soya beans, a whole pig to serve, or you name it, we'll find it authentic Polish sausages. One Asian assistant told me, you ready for this? She said to me, you American ladies are all stupid. American ladies lack conversation. All they ever ask is, how do you like the United States? So I am about to sign off. But what I would like to tell you is since I write a column and I learn all sorts of English phrases, I want to teach you something. The definition of frustration and panic. The difference. Frustration is the first time you discover you can't do it the second time. Panic is the second time you discover you can't do it the first time. I'm now finished with you for all time. Goodbye. It's Cindy Adams. Bye.
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.